Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Chapter 32. Flesh, Blood, and Bone. Harry felt his feet slam into the ground. His injured leg gave way, and he fell forward. His hand let go of the Triwizard Cup at last. He raised his head. Where are we? he said. Cedric shook his head. He got up, pulled Harry to his feet, and they looked around. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, this week in our Every Flavor Bean Patreon perk, we're going to talk about resurrection. In this chapter, we see Voldemort risen and embodied through a very unique spell that requires some very specific ingredients. So we're going to discuss what very specific ingredients would be necessary for our bodily resurrection. So if you'd like to hear that conversation, please go to patreon.com slash Harry Potter sacred text and become one of our Patreon supporters. Also write down what we say in case we ever need to be resurrected. Yeah, that's actually, this is pretty important. <laughs> our only yeah, chance. Yeah, please listen be, carefully. That's right. We also just have a couple of announcements before we start, which is you have eight more days to register for camp, everyone. If you want to learn how to write an op-ed with Lauren Sandler, if you want to learn how to write a romance novel, if you want to make s'mores and do a Sound of Music sing-along and see a live show and go swimming, you should sign up for camp. You can find out more at NotSorryWorks.com. And of course, please review us on Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe for ad-free episodes at Apple Podcasts. Vanessa, I hear that you intend to tell us a story about intention. I do. I intend to listen. (laughs) Thank you. This is a story where I had a ton of good intention walking into a situation, and we will see how we feel about what I did. I've changed everyone's names in this story to preserve their privacy. I worked in an office for six years, and you know, there's a lot of office drama. And one of the things that happened is one of my best friends to this day. We'll call her Sharon. She started dating this guy in our office. We'll call him Bill. Bill quit while they were still dating. And then Bill very abruptly in their three-year relationship broke up with Sharon. Just like totally caught her off guard 
out of nowhere broke up with Sharon. And Sharon had a very strong suspicion that he was cheating on her with one of his best friends. She was like, I think he left me for this best friend. And she was very, very upset about it. Two months go by, like barely any time goes by, Matt. And I see on Facebook that Bill is engaged to this girl that Sharon thought that Bill was cheating on her with. Like too soon after a breakup to get engaged if there hadn't been any cheating. Now, Sharon had expressed to me a profound desire to never know anything that happens with Bill. She blocked him on Facebook. She didn't want to ever speak to him again. But as soon as I saw that he was engaged on Facebook, I was like, I have to tell her because people in the office are going to come up to her and ask how she feels about it. And I want her to be prepared. I am her best friend. I need to be the person to tell her. So I walked up to her and I was like, hey, I have to tell you something about Bill. And she was like, I don't want to hear it. And I was like, I know you think you don't want to hear it, but I absolutely need to tell you. And so I am going to tell you. And then I told her. And she was mad at me because I disrespected her wishes. Now, Matt, the following day, this guy at work who we did not like and was, in our opinion, a mean man, came up to Sharon and was like, whoa, saw Bill got engaged. That happened real fast. And Sharon was able to respond to him just like in a really dignified and calm way that she was proud of. And she came up to me and very begrudgingly thanked me. She was like, thank you for warning me. I'm still mad at you, but thank you. And I was like, yep. And the reason I tell this story is because I am usually someone who will walk into a situation with intention and then get new information and be like, do you know what? Never mind. That intention was naive. That intention was not fully informed. And this is one of the only moments in my life that I can remember having an intention and getting all sorts of new information, like her yelling at me and telling me not to do it and still doing what I did and it being the right thing. And so my question about intention is, if an intention is truly properly discerned, should we let like nothing get in the way of it? Like how strong can an intention be before it becomes just like fanaticism, which I think is what we can all agree what Voldemort has gotten to. He is an intention to live forever he has taken this too far. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to be like, wow, Vanessa, like you took that intention way too far. But what is the purpose of an intention if we don't follow through on it? So I think one of the things that's going on is that intention actually carries a lot of fairly different meanings in English. I mean, they're all related meanings, but they're kind of different. Like an intention can just mean to like to to give your attention to something, like to have intention, like to... To, to do things with intention, right? It means to do it with some kind of deliberateness or carefulness, right? But then you also think about intention as like a plan. Like, this is what I intend to do. Here's my plan. Or we also use the language of intention to think about like resolve, right? Like, I am resolved to do this. This is my intention to do this. That's my resolution, my resolve, my, my kind of steadfast stubbornness. And in your story, we see like these, at least two of these definitions overlapping. 
Sharon had this intention not to think about Bill again. And you share that intention in this sense of resolve. We have resolved to not have him be part of our life or experience anymore, right? Yeah. But that resolve needs to be carried out through a plan. And plans change when you get new information, (laughs) right? So like, right, your intention is to care for Sharon. And then you get new information that makes you think, oh, actually, the best way for me to care for Sharon is to like change the plan a little bit. Then that butts up against the resolve. This is complicated. I mean, this is I think this is part of what goes on in this chapter. Voldemort is obviously very reckless with life and is perfectly willing to kill people. But he has no intention to kill Cedric. That's not he's not resolved to kill Cedric. It's not part of his plan. But new information, new details, plans change. Mm -hmm. And he very quickly, because of his resolve, changed his plan. Right. And so you see like different meanings of intention overlapping there. Yeah, I love that. That like my bigger intention was to love Sharon. To take care of her. And I was in. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, no, no, I have information (laughs) that you don't have. The etymology of intention means uh, tendere comes from the Latin to stretch and in Mm -hmm. means towards. So it just means like to move towards something, to stretch towards something. But the particular meaning of stretching makes me think of every time I attempt yoga, like (laughs) I intend to touch those toes. (laughs) I I have a plan to touch those toes, but it's not happening. (laughs) I'm stretching toward them. But we have new we have new information. The closer <laughs> I get, we have new information. I'm changing the plan. Well, Matt, I'm really excited to dig into this topic. Intention is something that I give a lot of thought to. And so can you please intend to tell me what happens in this chapter in 30 seconds? I, I intend to speak for 30 seconds. I think it would be naive to <laughs> right. think that I could tell you what happens in this chapter. On your mark, get set, go. So they've just been portkeyed and they arrive at this place and they're like, where are we? It looks like a graveyard. And it is a graveyard. And they... they feel creepy and subjects so like wands out and then they see people moving and the people come and immediately a voice says kill the spare and cedric dies and Harry's traumatized and then wormtail wraps him up next to a tombstone which is tom riddles and then uh dust bone dust comes out and uh wormtail cuts off his hand and then they cut harry and then harry's like please let him drown and instead voldemort rises and uh things get really bad and that's the end of the chapter things do get really bad they get real bad real bad Are you ready, Vanessa, to recap this chapter in 30 seconds? Yeah, I'm ready to do my best. Let me count you in. Thank you. Three, two, one, go. So Cedric and Harry arrive and they're like, what's going on? Wands out. And then immediately it's clear that Wormtail is carrying like this weird scaly snake-like baby Voldemort. And they say, kill the spare. And then there's this, all of this witchcraft. Harry gets tied to a a gravestone and they like do this, you know, bone of the father. The hand, Wormtail cuts off his own hand. Harry gets cut. And then, um... Voldemort rises from a soup. Can I just say, physiologically, I don't think, I think cutting off your hand would take longer than it takes in this. No, 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 no. It's a magically strong, like, oh, okay. thing. Then why doesn't he magically, like, give himself some anesthetic? Dude. Okay, anyway. Matt, before we transition to our theme conversation, we want to offer a trigger warning, which is that we talked briefly about school shootings in this theme conversation, so we understand that if people want to maybe fast forward to our spiritual practice, we understand and we will pick up with you for sacred imagination. So Vanessa, in your story, you talked about how like one of the things about intention is like when you get new information, your plans change and like what you intended might come up against another intention you have. And then so you have to 
you have to change your plan, right? Change your intentions in order to preserve other intentions. I think we can see some of that happening at the beginning of this chapter, right? Like when Harry and Cedric simultaneously touch the Triwizard Cup, they intend to be sharing this championship. They intend to be sharing this trophy. Instead, it's a portkey and everything changes. What we see in the first two pages of this chapter is like all their plans going out the window. They have a bunch of new information. A lot of the new information they have is that they don't know actually what's going on. What is new to them is that they have no information. Like all their old information was bad. And so like they're kind of looking at each other like, what's the plan? <laughs> like what, what, are we, what are we doing here, right? Yeah, it's so interesting how their intention changing just like five minutes ago matters. They walked into this maze as competitors, right? Like they were fighting against one another. And then a couple- like intending to defeat each other. Right. right? Yeah. They had the, the intention to, yeah, to beat each other to this cut. And, you know, it turns out that a couple of minutes ago, they've sort of agreed that they are going to be on a team. But I think that regardless of that decision, as soon as the port key got them both in the same place, they would have switched intentions again to be like, do you know what? No, we're on the same team. And it's just so interesting when that happens. I think it's one of the reasons we love sports, right? Like you're competitors until someone falls and gets injured. And then, you know, you're not competitors, you're fellow athletes, when circumstances change, our bigger, more holistic intentions emerge, right? There's this, oh, we're in a scary situation. Our intention is, let's be honest, that competition was a lie and, you know, was a fun game and a distraction. But at the end of the day, we're actually two kids who are scared together. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's also something about the sense of intention as attention, Right. Like this idea, like when you do something with intention, that means you do it with a a kind of attentiveness and deliberation and focus. And you're right. Like 10 minutes ago, all their focus was upon getting this cup. All their focus was upon Mm -hmm. winning. And now, like when when Cedric says wands out, like what he's doing is redirecting their focus. Like this space is unrecognizable. It's frightening. It's unexplained. He's like, we need to move through the space together with some intention. Like, let's be ready for what's out there. Wands out, right? The other thing that just becomes really obvious to me in this, like, micro-conversation at the beginning of the chapter is that Hogwarts's lack of intention of safety first for the students has caused, like, real ripple effects where Cedric and Harry are like, oh, it is entirely possible that it is intentional that the cup is a port key and that this is like part of this competition. And that shows such a profound lack of trust in the boundaries of school and what the Triwizard Tournament is that I like shame on Hogwarts. (laughs) I just feel like if I would like to think that if one of my kids suddenly found themselves in a really dangerous situation that I had initially put them in, they would be like, oh, this is not what Vanessa intended, right? Like, there's just like no (laughs) way in which this was part of the plan. Whereas they're like, I don't know, maybe this is part of the plan. Hogwarts does some weird things. (laughs) Like this competition has been like really ambiguous. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about during your story was that two of the possible definitions of intention, like one is resolve, and the other one is making a plan, mm-hmm. right? And you can see here, like, in a, at least in a general way, 
Hogwarts has a resolve, an intention to have students come to no harm, right? Yeah. But what they don't have is a good plan in place <laughs> to make sure that it happens. And what we what we also see in this chapter, and I think we'll probably spend most of our time talking about intention in this chapter around this, is that Voldemort has a plan. Like this is a long, incredibly elaborate, very detailed plan in order to, for him to have what he has resolved, for him to be re-embodied. But that plan only works because Hogwarts doesn't have a plan because they have all these gaps in their resolve, all these practical gaps in their resolve to protect children that provide opportunity for Wormtail and for and for Voldemort and for Barty Crouch Jr. to just find their way in and grab little opportunities, the accumulation of which leads to this moment in this chapter. But I don't even think Hogwarts has resolve to keep students safe. <laughs> You're right. That's true. Right? Because that's why, that's why I mean it's an overlap. They go together. Like, you can say you have resolve, but unless you have the plan, it's not real resolve. Right. You haven't done it with any intention. Right. right. And I don't think that the United States has any resolve for our justice system to actually mete out justice. Right? And there's, like, no actual intention for these things that we say we value to work out. And if we did, it would look very different. If we cared about education, if we cared about justice, these things would look different. And so Hogwarts, I don't know, Hogwarts is fine if kids are safe. They like all things being equal, they would prefer kids not be severely injured and like fall off of brooms and fight three-headed dogs and, you know, die. But they do nothing to prevent it, yeah. except one night have everyone sleep in the Great Hall together. That's right. Because they don't have a plan, it it kind of gives the lie to their resolve. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. And the detail of Voldemort's plan proves his resolve. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this whole plan is the most intentional thing I've ever even thought of. <laughs> like... I think our listeners know this probably even better than we do, but right, like from Bertha Jorkins to getting to England to, I don't think with intention, but, you know, with with no regard, the willingness to kill Frank, you know, to getting Barty Crouch Jr. unimperioused, you know, to get him to be moody and to arrange this whole four wizard tournament to get Harry to the cup. Like, this is meticulous planning. This is like yeah. general in the military level precision planning. But also the level of that planning and that detail, like, shows how easily this these plants could have been upended by Hogwarts. Yeah. Like, a lot of these things, these details that go right for Voldemort could so easily have gone wrong. Yeah. Like, like you were just saying, competition's unpredictable. Like, one of the things they're depending upon is that Harry actually is the one that touches the cup first yep. at the end the whole plan falls apart if it's not him right yep. and it gets complicated because two people touch it at the same time and cedric dies because two people touch it at the same time and cedric was never supposed to to be there but that means that they have to orchestrate this whole plan whereby harry is the one not only that's allowed to compete in this tournament but that he can be the one who touches the cup at the end and even as late as the last chapter, like, that's in question. Like, other people are doing other things. They have to, there's so many moving parts. It could have gone wrong for them so easily. So, like, 
you know, the more detail the plan gets, the more things you need to go your way in this. If any part of this Rube Goldberg machine, like, does not, you know, if a domino falls the wrong way or or a balloon explodes in the wrong place or at the wrong moment, this thing falls apart. I mean, as you were saying, as we were just saying, the level of detail of this plan not only shows the level of Voldemort's resolve, it also shows how poor the planning and therefore the resolve of Hogwarts is. Because this thing could have been confounded at so many moments and just and completely falling apart, <laughs> right? Like if Harry doesn't show up at this graveyard, yeah. where are they? What yeah. do they do? As soon as Dumbledore is like, do you know what? This is too risky. Forfeit. It's over. Yeah. The whole thing's over. <laughs> but I think, I like, this just strikes me as actually accurate about the way a lot of the world works, right? Like, yeah. any number of things could happen to stop a shooter from getting into a school, right? And yet, we know that shooters get into schools very easily. If we had better gun laws, if we had better mental health care, that wouldn't happen. And we just, we know that it is actually quite easy to wreak a lot of havoc because there isn't resolve and intention, or there is, in here's in my opinion, the wrong resolve and intention at play. Yeah. So within the Wizarding Universe, I like find this very believable. Like it, it's a little, I think to your point, Rube Goldberg-y, but I don't know. You have to not do yeah. a lot of background checks and you have to allow Walmart to sell yeah. bullets and, you know, you have to allow a lot yeah. of things to happen in order to get here. Yeah, it just makes me think, like, how many other kind of Rube Goldberg plans did Voldemort have the last 10 years? Right. That just got just because these are always detailed plans or they're always small little opportunities that need to to come together. The gaps between plan and resolve in the intentions of Hogwarts to keep a student safe were wide enough in this case, in this year, with this particular tournament going on, that it's not an accident that this is the time the Rube Goldberg machine works. Right. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people 
not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Just like the level of the resolve here also in this plan is, I mean, I just thought about it with with Wormtail cutting off his hand, right? Like the mm-hmm. level of resolve that you need to have to do this, like in this situation, under these circumstances, that's clear that Wormtail is in this tortured relationship in every sense of that word with Voldemort. And so Wormtail's resolve is just a different version of Voldemort's resolve. I mean, Wormtail does it because he will suffer worse if he doesn't. Yeah. So, like, this also is an extension of Voldemort's kind of unrelenting resolve, his intention to be restored to embodied life, more fully embodied life, like, whatever the cost, whatever the the violence necessary. Yeah. And and even to uh, down to the level of, like, just the little details. I mean, we've been talking about how all the little opportunities that needed to open up or maybe big opportunities that needed to open up in Hogwarts security in order for this plan to come to fruition. But they have also thought of everything. When Wormtail brings the cauldron over yeah. and Harry is watching it, there's this detail where Harry notices it's a the biggest cauldron he's ever seen. It's large enough to hold a grown man. Yeah. Like, which is exactly what it's for. I mean, like, you know, if Wormtail messes up and brings, like, a basketball-sized cauldron, (laughs) this isn't going to work. Like, they have thought through every detail because they need to. Yeah. It's what people mean when they talk about manifesting, right? Like, Hmm. part of manifesting is the details, right? Is, like, you got to believe that you're going to be big enough to need a big cauldron, right? Like, we got to set ourselves up for success. And like, yes, it's a lot more annoying to pack the big cauldron. We're going to have to take, you know, <sighs> the minivan and not the convertible. And But we got we to gotta set ourselves up for success here. We've got to believe that this is what's going to happen. And in that way, what's so interesting is that intention is often an act of faith, right? That, you know, we hear these stories about athletes who make it all the time, right? You intend to become the greatest athlete of all time. So you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice and it takes all of this intention. But intention also means a, a belief in a little bit of magic, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. But I also think that, like, again, it's pointing to this overlap between something like faith and practicality, between something like resolve and planning, right? Like, because if part of absolutely believing it and knowing it's not just a dream means, like, you go through the details that are going to be necessary for it to, to happen, right? And I think you're right. This points back to everything we were saying before. That's why Voldemort's resolve is accompanied by a lot of detail, because he actually believes it, where... Hogwarts quote-unquote resolve to keep children safe isn't really a strongly held belief because they don't go through all the details that would actually make it true, right? And so so you're right. I think that's, that's a good way to, to capture it. So 
so Matt, we are going to do sacred imagination. And this is where I ask you to try to imagine yourself into this really terrifying scene. And so I'm going to ask our listeners to try to really be attuned to their five senses here. And I'm just going to read us the beginning of the chapter because I think that this moment, you know, is really vivid between Cedric and Harry. Harry felt his feet slam into the ground. His injured leg gave way and he fell forward. His hand let go of the Triwizard Cup at last. He raised his head. Where are we? He said. Cedric shook his head. He got up, pulled Harry to his feet, and they looked around. They had left the Hogwarts grounds completely. They had obviously traveled miles, perhaps hundreds of miles, for even the mountains surrounding the castle were gone. They were standing instead in a dark and overgrown graveyard. The black outline of a small church was visible beyond a large yew tree to their right. A hill rose above them to their left. Harry could just make out the outline of a fine old house on the hillside. Cedric looked down at the Triwizard Cup and then up at Harry. Did anyone tell you the cup was a port key? he asked. Nope, said Harry. He was looking around the graveyard. It was completely silent and slightly eerie. Is this supposed to be part of the task? I don't know, said Cedric. He sounded slightly nervous. Wands out, do you reckon? Yeah, said Harry, glad that Cedric had made the suggestion rather than him. They pulled out their wands. Harry kept looking around. He had, yet again, the strange feeling that they were being watched. So, Matt, what did you notice? There were a couple things I, I noticed, Vanessa. I think the, I was mostly in Harry's head. The chapter opens with that kind of shooting pain in his, in his injured leg, right? When I read it this time, knowing what was coming in this chapter, I kind of passed pretty quickly over that very first scene and didn't pay a lot of attention to that pain. But like, Harry arrives injured. He arrives after this really harrowing experience in the maze and already injured here and already in pain. And this idea of him finally letting go of the port key of the, the trophy. I don't know, there was something about that. This like, I'm sure the pain didn't go away after the sentence ends in this chapter, right? Like, he just broke his right. ankle or whatever, right? Like, this right. pain is, through this whole first scene, he's still, like, injured, yeah. and that pain is still there. He's just intending other things, focusing on other things. So that was just kind of like that lingering, like, ache, like, after you hurt yourself, after you break a bone or something, how it's part of everything that happens. I feel like that echoed through the rest of your reading and really gave a sense of alarm and uncertainty to it. Like, he can't run. Yeah. He can't move quickly. Right? Like, he sees people are coming, wands are out. Maybe the competition's still going, or maybe something dangerous is happening. But, like, it's not only causing him pain, it's also signaling him that other things are going on. And the other thing was just, I feel like I always go to this in sacred imagination, but it's really useful for me, and I think maybe it says something about my imagination. It's just, like, the smell of the place, like this very earthy, wet earth smell that kind of filled my imagination as you were reading it. And as, you know, as this chapter goes on and bone dust rises and and there's blood and everything i think that those kind of earthy musty smells just kind of grow and accumulate in the chapter yeah what about you what did you what did you experience i was really struck by the visual descriptions of the mountains are gone but there's a hill and there's a fine old house right and i just think that because i am someone who i th i think that this is true of many of us 
like I stop seeing my surroundings until they change, right? Like I never, I don't walk into my living room and go, what a lovely room. But, you know, I come in and the dog has destroyed something and I'm like, why is this a mess, right? And I feel like they probably walk around the Hogwarts grounds and the mountains become invisible, right? Like you're not every morning thinking, ah, what beautiful mountains and oh, how cool, we live in a castle. But suddenly those things that make a scene familiar become so meaningful to you when they are taken from you and when there's something new to sort of have your eyes feast on. And yeah, it's it's always the thing that strikes me when I get off an airplane is like the change in the fauna, right? Like I remember the first time that I went to Georgia, I was just like, I have never seen trees like this. Like even the trees look different. You know, Casper, I was just on a pilgrimage with Casper and he quoted his friend Sue, who says that home is where the trees look right. And <laughs> it really meant a lot to me. I think that- yeah. I have such a fondness for sequoias because I am from California. And so, yeah, this like isn't home. The trees don't look right. The mountains don't look right. Just like the unfamiliarity of their surroundings and the fact that he can't orient himself to what this could possibly be. And to not know if you are miles away from someplace or hundreds of miles away from someplace, like that just has to be so profoundly disorienting. And that, yeah, just the unfamiliarity of your eyes grasping onto something that they've never seen before. It's just, yeah, it's eerie. It's really eerie on top of everything else. It's just, they're so deeply disoriented. Imagine touching something not knowing it was going to make you travel hundreds of miles. Yeah. It's just that. With a broken ankle. With a broken ankle. (laughs) Like if the trauma ended here, I'd be like, I need eight years of therapy. I was at a broken ankle. And then all of a sudden, I was in a place hundreds of miles away. And then I was safely returned home to my bed. Can you believe that happened to me? Like, that would be horrible. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Vanessa. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Now we have a voice memo from Teddy. Hi, Sacred Text team. My name is Teddy, and I just wanted to share some thoughts about your episode on rejection. I was really interested in the conversation about Hagrid's reaction to Madame Maxine's rejection. And it occurred to me that there were two layers of rejection happening in that moment. The first, which Matt mentioned, was Madame Maxine's rejection of Hagrid's attempt to connect about their heritage. But I realized that Madame Maxine, while she was uncomfortable, she does not fully reject Hagrid until he suggests that she too is part giant. And this this reminded me just how social creatures humans are. And that rejecting a part of yourself can be just as damaging to someone else as rejecting them outright. I was thinking about this from a parenting point of view. For example, I don't think I could have learned to accept my own body when my mom was criticizing her own, regardless if she had commented on mine or not. And I don't think I can truly make my daughter feel completely accepted by me or herself if there are parts of myself I am actively disliking and rejecting. But complete self-acceptance is really, really hard. So I want to bless Madame Maxine and anyone out there who is rejecting a part of themselves. It's difficult, but accepting ourselves is not actually selfish and really can make the world a better place for other people too. Thank you so much for all of your work. I recommend your podcast to pretty much everyone I meet, and I'm really grateful for it. Thank you, Teddy. Uh, thanks for complicating the reading of that scene. I think everything you say is absolutely true and fills out what's going on here and and gives us some sympathy for Maxime here. I also think what you're saying is especially true around identities that are are marginalized. It's at least partly because the culture around giants hates giants that the self-acceptance becomes so important. And of course, the question of gender in our culture follows the same contours. So... Thank you for all you're doing for your daughter, and thank you for your voice memo. And thank you for being a micro-publicist for us. They're my favorite kind. (laughs) Now is the time in the podcast when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Marjorie, 94 who was exceedingly kind and quietly independent. Malin Opitz, nine, fiercely loving, creative, and brave. Martin Coitinho, 40, the husband of Maya and a beloved friend. Pat Vega, 78, a grandmother, explorer, and artist. Let light perpetual shine upon all of them. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I am blessing Cedric. I know we talked about it, but when he says wands out, to Harry, it just feels like a moment where he is stepping into his authority as an older kid, and it's like very big brothery, and he's trying to take care of Harry and be a leader. And because Harry has so few people taking care of him, I find it incredibly sweet 
I love it when people step into a position of authority and sort of decide that they're in charge of a situation that is otherwise chaos, especially when they have a reasonable reason for that. And Cedric does. He's three years older, four years older than Harry. He, and at that age, that is pretty significant. So a blessing for Cedric for being in an incredibly stressful situation and taking the lead. What about you, Matt? I'm going to bless Cedric too, because Cedric's innocent. He shouldn't have to die. And it, he only dies because he wasn't part of the plan. And I also think it's a, a reminder for us. I think trying to be as loving as possible means having no person be extraneous to your plans. And that's a hard thing because we all have plans and the consequences we, you know, are not like the ones here, but for people to be ends of themselves and not to be part of our intentions for ourselves is the task. And when we fail to do that, the consequences can be really bad like they are in this chapter. So blessing for Cedric. Next week, we'll be reading book four, chapter 33, The Death Eaters, through the theme of invisibility. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We are a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry Productions is a feminist production company, and our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Remember that you can review us on Apple Podcasts, and we'd like to thank Law Review Scanner for giving us a review this week. We'd also like to give our special thanks to Teddy for their voice memo this week, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of those they have loved and lost this week. Next week, we're going to read book four, chapter 33, The Death Eaters, through the theme, teamwork? (laughs) 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 I mean, they're pulling together. They are a team. There's no I in Death Eaters. (laughs) 